Hello and welcome to episode two of Family Remains, our folk horror role-playing adventure in the fictional village of Solemn Vale. When we last left Graham and Linda Parker, there seemed to be some disagreement with the locals as to who exactly owned the house which had been left to Linda in the will of her late aunt. The Parker's solicitor, Mr Livingston, has gone off to look at the paperwork, leaving Graham and Linda to look around the house. Here's our storyteller, Matthew Dawkins. You enter the house as the Land Rover pulls away. Well, that was all very interesting, wasn't it? That's not a development I was expecting, certainly. No. Uh, let's assume that Livingston can sort it out and have a look around this place at least, get a, an eye for what might or might not be possible. When I was looking through the paperwork, I did wonder if that undated document might be an issue, but maybe it's going to be much more of an issue now that uh, Mr Holloway seems to have some sort of claim on it. Maybe we'll find something in the house that will tell us uh, a little bit more. Well, perhaps, perhaps. I hope I'll find some pictures of this aunt of mine. be interesting to see what she looked like, wouldn't it? Yes, it would, yes. You enter the cottage, uh, the largely intact building as part of this estate, and you can find that much of the floor has been swept recently. Uh, You can't imagine the state that your great-aunt was living in uh, if this was how she was living. Or, indeed, uh, you were told that she had no staff, so maybe she was just so old as to be unable to look after herself, which would be a sad state of affairs. But despite the sheer amount of dust and wreckage when you get to the edges of the house, because, yes, some of it is falling apart, but what has been described as livable is there is a living room that does have furniture in, there is a kitchen which has a gas uh, supply to it, and from what you can see, it's uh, still working. There's a dining room which is quite spacious, and the stairs lead upstairs to... Three floors uh, is increasingly narrow as you get to the top. You get to the first floor, which has bedrooms. The second floor, which has more bedrooms. And the third floor, which is storage, essentially an attic, but with a peak on top. As you look around, there aren't many signs of personality in this place. Uh, Yeah, there's some books, uh, there's some jewellery as described uh, in one of the bedrooms you can see the bedroom that was clearly hers it's the only one that looks like it's been lived in albeit a long time ago but photos on the walls are scant you do find some all in black and white and they're of the countryside or of groups of people that you don't recognise I wonder who this lot are or were Oh, I haven't seen my father in a single one of them. I was wondering if I might, but I don't recognise any of these people at all. No idea who a single one of them is. Well, of course, they may not be relatives. They may have just been friends of the family, perhaps. Oh, that's true, yes. I thought since my father was named in the original will, maybe she knew him. Yes, but... it would it would, uh, it would uh, make it seem that they were perhaps closer. Mm. I don't know. Shall I have a look in some of the drawers, do you think? Well, See if there's any letters or anything. Where's the harm? 
Could you do a mind roll, please? Four. You do find a drawer that seems jammed shut. It's not locked, it just seems to be warped. Uh, There is a bit of a smell of damp in this place. But you're able to budget free. There's some paperwork in there. And it doesn't look terribly old, either. It's not all yellowed. Oh, Graham, look at this. Let's see what's in here. Hmm. Take it out. Have a a read. I look in the drawer, and there are piles and piles of papers, but some of them are stacked quite neatly, so I go for those first. The paperwork all looks handwritten, and indeed you've not seen any sign of a typewriter or typewriter case anywhere around in the house. And these are all handwritten letters you don't know who wrote them because there is no signatory at the bottom of any of them but they are all addressed to your great aunt the dearly departed Demelza Cable of course the letters aren't addressed to her as dearly departed well they're love letters talking of great passion wanting to revisit those sunny days on the beach and the cliffside wanting to explore the dark recesses of the land, and you wonder how much of this is euphemism and innuendo, how much of it is an intrusion into someone you've never known's life. It was clearly quite important to her to keep them so safe, so locked away. But as you leaf through these letters, you find that they're getting increasingly aggressive, threatening even, about 12 letters in not that you're reading them all word for word it's demanding that she returns to those sunny beaches those glistening cliff tops where the only the only time in your past where you are pure and innocent Demelza the only time that you deserved my love was on those summer mornings when we spent together how the next time that I see you it may be the last time and if you ever return to those deep recesses in the earth I may be pushing you within them and burying you and by the 20th letter the handwriting is becoming less formal it's scribbled it's aggressive to the point of homicidal you can't even read it it's worse than the worst shorthand you've seen it's gibberish and the words that you can make out make no sense in context with each other. Uh, Graham is the only character right now with a weird die due to his encounter with the beer, but I'm going to ask him to roll it, please. He rolls a one. Graham, as you look over your wife's shoulder through these letters, you notice that her eyes are as if glazed over, transfixed, studying every word, And you just find yourself increasingly disturbed by these contents at a level that you've never experienced before. You get an itching in your scalp. It's more than just a coldness that shivers up your spine. It's a prickling that goes all the way across your body and a nausea that rises up from your stomach and into your throat. You have to turn away and walk to the other side of the room. Your head is pounding like a migraine is coming on. What the hell is going on then here? I have absolutely no idea. I think it, she must have uh, spurned this man or something. You've seen this one? Look, you can hardly even make out what the words are. Look at the writing. No, I don't. I don't need to look. Just uh, 
put them back in the drawer. They're not important. Well, all right then. I'll just flip through to the end, though, before I put them away and just make sure that there isn't anything that we ought to be concerned about. Fine, fine, whatever you need to do. I'm going to go and look out of the window for a minute. Well, why don't you open it and stick your head out if you're not feeling very well? No, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll just have a look at the view. All right. I'm just thinking, if she was found in a field, like Mr Livingstone said, if there's some confusion about where she actually died, you know, it's a bit strange that we find some very aggressive letters in her bedroom and there's some confusion about where she actually passed away. Let me just go through the last few and then we'll go and check one of the other rooms. Fine. So I leaf through to the last two or three pages. As you get to the last two or three pages... You find the handwriting suddenly becoming stable again. But the letter is far shorter now. And it simply says, Demelza Cable, you and all of your descendants have crossed me. There is not one inch of your bloodline that I will not extinguish. You will all be rendered back to the earth from whence you came. Linda's heart starts pounding and she gives a little cry and drops the letters on the floor. They kind of scatter in front of her and she sits motionless for a second before she starts desperately scrabbling to pick them all up and fold them back as they were and put them back in the drawer. Graham, looking out of the window, is oblivious to this. And what's more, Graham, you see as you look out across the view and barely register the shout of your wife behind you there's a young man down by your car seems to be poking around it i frown for a moment what the hell's he doing and i run out of the room and head outside to confront him linda looks up she's just about got the uh, the drawer closed again graham graham what are you doing what's going on who's outside I'll be back in a moment. I don't know. Just just give me a moment. And he runs out of the front door. Graham, as you run out of the front door, Linda, the door to the room that you're in, slams shut. Maybe caught by a breeze, maybe something else. We'll deal with Graham first. Graham, you exit the front door, make your way down the pathway through the front garden towards where the cars are parked. You can't see a young man there anymore. But he was there, clear as day. You are sure. You could even describe what he was wearing. I move over and check around my car to see whether anything looks disturbed or damaged. Looking around its exterior, you can't see that it has been. Make a mind challenge roll, please. Four. Would you like to add to that? Right. In that case, I will have one from that weird pool. So I now have two... You see that your car bonnet is popped up a fraction. I bend down and try to look through the gap without actually lifting the bonnet. You can see what looks like sticks have been jammed in under there. I look underneath the car also and through the windows. You can't see anything inside the car. That's a miss. And getting down onto your front to look underneath the car and see whether anyone's tampered with anything underneath it. You can't see any cables or leads cut or dripping anything precious like brake fluid. Graham decides that he's going to leave the car 
for now in the state that he's found it, but he finds something nearby that he can just balance in the gap between the bonnet and the base of the car so that when he returns later he can tell if anybody's done anything further and then he returns to the house. While that's going on, Linda, the door slams shut. I jump and let out a little cry. And the room darkens. Just a fraction. It's like the sun goes behind a cloud and it really affects the room that you're in. The paperwork that you just neatly stacked back into the drawer and you've jammed the drawer shut. You hear a thump and a rattle and that drawer bursts open again the paperwork scattering all over the place in a worse mess than you left it originally I scream you scream out Graham hears you from outside and your eyes make contact with a photograph at the bottom of the drawer that you're sure wasn't there before I'm going to take a second just to try to calm my heartbeat um, I'm glancing around the room to see what's going on with the light because it's definitely different and um, and then I'm going to reach in very carefully and lift the photograph out Could you make a soul challenge roll please? Three Yeah, I will add a weird Very good, so that becomes your weird now and you you extract the photograph from the drawer tentatively practically between your nails more than your fingertips. It's a black and white photograph, and you don't think it's of you. You don't remember being photographed. Not like this. It's quite... pornographic. It has someone that looks very similar to you, reclining on her bed, one arm crooked and behind her head, touching her opposite shoulder. Her eyes shut, biting her lower lip, and she is masturbating in the photo. Now, as if that weren't shocking enough, there is a red X. At first it looks like it's been drawn on, but it has been indented slightly in the photo just over her chest and you think someone may have pushed their nail into this and bled a little because that red is brown around the edges and then Graham walks in through the door Graham look at this the weirdest thing just happened to me what? Well, you went out of the room, the door slammed shut, and then something odd happened to the light. It was like, oh, I don't know, it was like somebody kind of closed half a curtain. It sort of darkened a little bit. That's probably a cloud went past outside. Oh, no, it, it didn't seem to be outside. It seemed to be all around me in here. But look at this. You know, I just finished putting all those letters away, and we were going to go downstairs. Mm. Well, the drawer suddenly just burst open on its own, and look at the state of the place. They're all over the place. But look at this. This was at the bottom underneath those those papers. Look at it. Look at the look at the face. Christ. It's you, isn't it? No. 
I've never seen this before in my life. I wouldn't do that. Look what she's doing. Graham takes the photo and looks at it a little more closely. Does he recognise that it is her or that it looks like her? Facially and even bodily, it looks like your wife. But focusing on it for perhaps a little too long, you come to the conclusion that it isn't. Well, who can it be? It does look like you, I'll grant. It's not, but it certainly does look like. It does, doesn't it? And do you think all that red stuff there, do you think that's blood or am I just imagining it? Because I think that looks like blood. Paint, probably. Yeah, but do you remember the time I got that really bad paper cut off that Barbara Cartland book I borrowed from the library? And I bled on the page. It looks a bit like that, don't you think? I'm not, not, I'm not imagining this, am I? Yes, yeah. yes, all right. I, I, it looks like it. I'll grant you it looks like it, but it can't be. Well, why can't it be? Because it doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. You know, the drawer makes no sense, opening by itself. Oh, well, that was horrible. The scared of in daylight sounding. Door slamming makes no sense. The light makes no sense. This photograph certainly makes no sense. Everybody always used to say when I was growing up, I look quite like my dad. Do you think this is my aunt when she was younger? Oh, can we tell how old the photograph is? Turn it over, see if there's anything on the back. He does so. It says on the back, uh, written with a very stylized pen, for Demelza. Oh. You can recognise the handwriting as the same as that of the letter writer. Oh my goodness! Look, is that's the same? That's the same handwriting. So, if he says for Demelza, then he's taken a photograph of Demelza and presented it to her? We're assuming that the person writing the letters is a man. What if it's not? You mean this might be a photograph of the letter writer? Maybe. But then they'd have to be related, surely, because look at the face, look at your face. I don't understand any of this, Graham. Linda gives a bit of a shiver. And, um, and pulls her scarf a little bit more closely around her neck. I, th- I think we need to, to move on and, and to look around the rest of the house. Close the drawer. Do you think I should take this with me? The photograph? Well, it looks like me. I don't want people thinking it is me. I'll take it. Graham takes the photograph and puts it into his inside jacket pocket. Linda has one last sort of rummage around in the drawer to make sure that there isn't anything else that might incriminate her for things that she hasn't done. As your hand is uh, rummaging around there, you you touch the underside of the desktop and you pull your hand away. Ah, you have just pricked your finger on something sharp. Could just be a nail. You've drawn a little blood. I'll give a little cry and pull my hand back and examine what I've done. You've cut a neat line from your middle knuckle on your forefinger all the way up to the tip of your finger just by dragging your finger across something sharp. It's not so deep as you're going to need stitches, but it hurts. I'll get my bag and uh, I've got a packet of tissues in there, I think. 
So I'll get one of those and wrap it around to staunch the blood. And then I'm going to have a little look to see what I actually caught it on. Because I don't remember there being anything in there when I was looking through the letters the first time. No, being a little more sensitive now to what you're touching, you find a handle uh, and wedging it free. It wasn't in the drawer as much as it's secreted in the desktop. And looking at the structure of the desk, you could see someone might have just slid it underneath the top panel of wood. You can't imagine how someone could have done that accidentally, but fair enough. You find yourself holding a letter opener. Could be an antique. Uh, The handle looks like it's carved of bone. And the blade itself, which is frankly long for a letter opener, it looks more like a sword, or it's been styled to look like one, is lined with a strip of your blood. Look at this, Graham. Just caught my finger on it. Look at that. It's kind of wedged up underneath the drawer. He takes it from Linda and examines it more closely. Seems a little large for a letter opener, doesn't it? What's it doing stuck up underneath somebody's desk drawer? I have no idea. It would have bled on it, though. I'd wipe that off if I were you. He gives it back. I decline to wipe it clean because of... I only had one tissue and it's wrapped around my finger and I'm not moving it. Are you taking the letter opener? Uh, Linda's feeling a little bit uneasy, so she's undecided at the moment, so she's going to just lay it on the uh, the top of the desk for now. She might decide to take it before she leaves the room, it depends. Very good. As you make your way around the rest of the house, you find much the same as you did before. Again, not much to imply the personality of the person living here. It's only when you get to what was at one point, you think, a study on the second floor, uh, one of the few rooms that hasn't been made into a long, disused bedroom. Uh, There's a cupboard that you think is locked or again jammed just like the drawer you can't get into it and you don't recall from Mr Livingston's itinerary uh, a mention of any kind of locked doors in the place Um, it certainly listed a certain number of bedrooms kitchen, dining room etc but yeah no locked doors Linda's going to go and give the door a bit of a shake to see if uh if there's any way of getting into the lock. And then she remembers the letter opener upstairs. Do you think we could force the lock open with that knife thing we found upstairs? Possibly, I'm not sure. Hold on, let me have a look. Graham squats down and has a look through the keyhole of the door. It's nothing but darkness in there. Well, let me just pop upstairs and get the letter opener. Maybe we can sort of ease it open. Yeah, yes, all right, it's worth a try. I can't tell whether there's anything jammed in it or not. It's too dark on the other side. Yes, go and, go and fetch it and we'll have a go. Will you have a look around all the other, like the shelves and things and see if there's anything useful that might tell us a bit more about Aunt Demelza? Yes, all right. And Linda goes back upstairs, finds the, uh, finds the letter opener where she left it on top of the dresser and goes back down. It's, it's no longer there. Oh. She has a little look around, slightly confused. Her heart is beating a little bit faster. Um, 
She looks around the dresser on the floor, looks under the bed to see if it's rolled under there. But all the time that she's doing this, she knows that she didn't leave it anywhere near the end of the dresser. So even if we'd moved the floorboards by walking across them and maybe dislodged it, it couldn't have got as far as it has. The room gets darker again. And having been stung like this before, your immediate instinct is to exit. But what do you do? I I literally run back out onto the landing and down the stairs. And I'll call out to Graham as I'm going. Graham? Graham, you hear her. What is it? It's gone. What's gone? It wasn't there. You know I left it on top of the dresser. The letter opener? Yes. Yes, it's not there anymore. It's disappeared. Well, it's probably fallen under the desk. Well, that's exactly what I thought, but I've looked for it and it's not there. And then while I was standing there wondering where I could look next, the light changed again, so I just, I've just come out. Nothing else happened, but I wasn't going to stay around to see if it did. <sighs> this makes no sense. Maybe I have something else I can use to open this door. Graham, we're going to do an influence roll now. Uh, I would like you to roll your pressure rating, please. I have one six. You can feel, again, that sense of nausea building, but you suppress it as from behind that closed cupboard door you are sure you hear a whispering voice, just briefly. And it's just whispering Family, family, family. Family, family. And again, you feel that sense of sickness rising, but you are able to suppress it without taking any grave action. Graham clutches onto Linda for a second. Did you hear anything? No, I don't think I did. Hear what? I could have sworn I heard a voice from behind that door. A voice? Yes, a voice. What was it saying? You just kept repeating the word family. Graham, are you trying to wind me up? Hardly. I mean, why would I do that after what's already happened? I'm not convinced I want to be opening the door anymore. No, maybe we should leave it. Is there anything else that you found in here? The shelves, I think, all looked fairly standard. A couple of ornaments, a lot of dust. I didn't see anything else of interest. There's plenty of books in here, although most of them deal with the land and local area. Uh, It's, by and large, also a big selection of Reader's Digest novels, things that you would mail order and then get the full collections of over the course of years. So you can see a whole flurry of the works of Ian Fleming, Charles Dickens, William Shakespeare, that kind of thing in this study. Nothing terribly odd, although some books are in a language you don't understand. Uh, You can just see from the names on the spines, there are words you just don't recognise. Not a single Barbara Cartland. Your aunt obviously had better taste than you, dear. There's nothing wrong with Barbara Cartland. Leave me alone. You hear a car start outside. Who's that? I'm not expecting anybody else yet, surely. Livingston can't have finished just yet. Uh, Is there a window to the outside nearby? And you would need to head to the other side of the house. Come on, let's go and have a look. 
Alright. They head off towards the nearest window. Heading over, uh, you find yourself in a spare bedroom, look through a murky window with a crack down its middle, and you can see Livingston's car pulling away and driving off down the track. What on earth is he doing? Where's he going? He wasn't here in the first place. He went off in the Land Rover. Well, I didn't hear the Land Rover drive up. Did you? No. Maybe you walked back. But surely you would have come in and said something. That's very rude. Hmm. Or maybe he's left a note on the car or something. Should we go down and have a look? Yes, let's let's go and check. But I've got an uneasy feeling about this. I've had an uneasy feeling for a little while now. I was so excited this morning. Come on. Let's go. All right. As you make your way back downstairs, it's as if the house opens up to you. Uh, the bright afternoon light fills it clearly from the direction the house is facing. It really benefits from around the 3.30pm time of day as everything starts to warm and feel a little more homely and comforting. You exit the building and you are there with your car. Uh, you can just see the smoke in the distance of the direction the beamer headed in. And no no note under your windscreen wiper or anything like that. Graham just has a quick cursory inspection of the uh, little trap that he laid under the bonnet of his car. Your trap has been sprung. I don't like the look of this, Linda. Look of what? What are you doing with the bonnet? Well, when I came down earlier to look for that chappy that was fiddling around with the car, there was nobody here when I got here, but uh, it looked like there were some branches and things stuffed under the bonnet just there. there. Branches? Yes, look, just in underneath. Twigs or or, or bits of wood of some sort. I don't know, I, I decided not to look too closely, but I, I put a little um, a little piece of wood and a stone just underneath there to uh, let me know if anybody had revisited it while I was back inside. It was there now. So somebody's messed with our car. Well, shouldn't we get all this stuff out? Linda leans down and sort of peers through the gap and can see some twigs and things in there. Well, yes, but... I'm not sure that we shouldn't wait for uh, Livingston and Holloway to come back first. Livingston's just been back and gone again. Hmm. Or has he? What do you mean? We just heard him drive off. We heard his car go. I don't think that you saw him, and nor did I. Well, that's a good point, but why would anybody else take his car? Why would... Somebody have a large letter opener that vanishes when you look for it again. Graham, don't. You're making me shiver. I wonder if there's anything else in the house that we should have checked that we have an Attic? Basement? We haven't been up to the attic yet, have we? And you didn't see an entrance to a cellar, but it wouldn't be uncommon for a building like this to have one. There wasn't one listed on the itinerary. There has to be a rational explanation for all of this. Graham is starting to to compose himself a little bit. He's far too rational or logical to be swayed for too long by these sort of strange goings-on. 
I think we should go and have a look at the rest of the house, Linda. Well, all right then. Where do you want to start this time? Oh, I know what we ought to do. Mm-hmm. Should we maybe see if there's a phone? Because then we could ring the solicitors in Plymouth and see if Mr Livingstone's going back there and just leave a message saying that we're not sure why he left before we finished our business with him. Yes, all right. We'll have a look on the way. I, I suggest that we go up to the top and work our way down. We haven't been to the attic yet, as you say. We'll go and have a look up there. If we see a telephone on the way, leave a message with the solicitor. Mm, I didn't notice one, though, did you? I didn't, but it doesn't mean it's not there. I suppose we weren't really looking for one, were we, before? Indeed. And looking outside, you can see that there is a line that goes to the house. Uh, at the very least, it's hooked up to receive calls but you head your way up to the attic and again much like many of the wooden fixtures and fittings in this house it is jammed solidly shut but with a bit of a heave and a hoe you're able to push your way up into a dusty and filled with cobwebs loft well nobody came up here very often by the looks of it See if you can see a light switch or anything. You can't see a light switch, but you can see a window in the roof side. It is so thick with grime and dirt that the reason it's so dark in here is simply because it's being obscured. Uh, You could probably wipe it clean. Are there any dust sheets or anything up here? There are. Lots of sheets covering, you assume, furniture. I will take one of those and use it to clean the window. The sun shining in illuminate something very different to what, again, you initially thought were chairs and tables and associated fripperies being covered with sheets. These sheets are dresses and well, they look like costumes. They're all hanging from the roof rafters by clothes hooks and some of them are quite ornate. There's some very fine stitching and embroidery on some of them. Uh, No jewels or anything like that. But some are also quite simple. Uh, Like a a sheet that's been made into a gown. Just thin cotton or, or wool. And most unusual about this array of dresses and gowns are their design, which is that while they cover the most of the body, there are holes cut out. And they would be where the wearer's um, private parts would be. Linda goes and looks at the dresses and at first is quite fascinated and distracted by the stitch work. Um, So she runs her fingers across it and, and sort of holds it up to the light to admire it. And as soon as she realises where the cutouts would be, she drops it like it's burned her and backs away. It flaps to the ground, separating the dust just briefly. A spider crawls out from underneath one of them and then scuttles away. Linda squeaks and backs off. Mm, Bit of a seamstress then, your strange old aunt, was she? Yeah, but it's a bit strange. Have you seen what there's holes in it? Look, and look where they be. Oh yes, I'd noted. Why on earth would you do that? 
Well, you're a grown woman, Linda. Surely you'd know. Graham. Well, who knows what goes on in these rural country villages. You know, it's probably the standard formal wear for them. Graham, they're not living in the dark ages, goodness sake. Let's, no. let's just have a look in some of these boxes and things and see if we can find anything useful. Yes, very well. Let's, uh, let's have a look. You dig through some of the boxes and start to finally find some signs of life. Uh, or a life that was once lived. Older photos and letters, a couple of books, uh, even some reports from school, you think, dating back to the 1910s and 20s. The contents of the box seem to tell a tale of a young woman who was living a perfectly normal life and you don't get the impression that from the photos that this young woman was living in solemn veil from what you can see a woman who looks a lot like a child version of Linda uh, was living somewhere far more industrial than that and there's photos of her with friends, with family, a very severe looking older gentleman with a big moustache, quite typical of the Victorian and Edwardian eras you are able to find that your relative Demelza uh, was a happy child with a vivacious life nothing that seems seedy or unseemly and as you go through these boxes and everything is well lit enough by the sun tearing in through the window you are able to find that the vitality of her life seems to have faded significantly upon arriving in Solemn Vale there are fewer photos. There are some of her a bit older starting in her late 20s you would say, or early 30s where she's rarely smiling rarely photographed with anyone where she's just stood alone outside a building or on a hill or sat on a cliffside. There's no indication of who the photographer is but it just appears to be a portrait of a sad woman advancing in age. Is there anything written on the back of any of these photographs as we go through them? Mostly the ones uh, of her as a child actually notes her as being from Birmingham, uh, which is a family link you had no idea about, Linda. Uh, But the ones of her going into adulthood lack those notes beyond a couple of initials here and there. And the initials aren't DC, her own. Uh, You don't know if they are the initials of the photographer or of the location she's sat at or something else because they differ from photo to photo for the most part. Do I recognise any sort of um, family resemblance to any of the people in the photographs? Uh, When she is a child, yes, you are able to see some family resemblances. And in fact... You think that one of the girls that she has stood next to, uh, and it's a long shot, but you've seen a photo of your own great-grandmother when she was a child. A very old photo, probably late 19th century. 
and there's enough of a similarity there to think, oh, okay, so that's when the two sisters still lived together before they became distant for whatever reason. This, I think, I'm pretty sure this is my great-grandmother, you know. Do you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, I'd have to get the photos from a box at home to be able to compare it, but... I was thinking originally, when we were driving up, that I would see if there were any photographs and I could take them home and maybe see if I can match up what I've got to whoever she had in her photo albums. Mm. But we've not found any photo albums. This is all we've got. And now, with Mr Holloway being involved, I'm not really sure if we should be taking anything anyway. But surely he can't have any claim over her personal stuff. That well, should still be mine, shouldn't it? Yes, yes, he has a claim, he says, on the land hmm. and the estate. Well, unless he was very closely related to to Melza, then no, he has no claim on the personal effects. They would belong to your family. So if you want to take them, dear, I suggest you take them. Seems to have been quite a sad life, doesn't it? You can see as you're going through this little series where the light goes out of her eyes. I wonder what happened to her. Well, looking at the uh, age where it changes, I think the main thing that happened to her is she moved to Solemn Vale. Still wanted to come here? I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Hmm. I'm not so sure. Let's see what else we can find, if anything, in any of these boxes. Linda's going to take the little collection of photographs and some of the other things, reports and letters and stuff, and put them in her bag. You find a diary after rummaging deeply into one of the boxes, and it's dated uh, 1908. The diary has a lock on it, very old-fashioned, it's brass, even has a little keyhole, uh, like a vanity diary might do these days in the 1970s and yeah it's quite ornate has some nice brass edges to it too on the corners and there's no name just a date is it locked yeah but it doesn't look like it would be terribly hard to break it open if that's your intent it'd be quite nice to be able to read it wouldn't it should we have a go at getting it open yes I'd Maybe if I just pop it on the uh, on the edge of this box and, and give it a bit of a shove, it's not unlike taking the top off a beer bottle when one hasn't got a bottle opener. <laughs> I give it a bit of a dap and see see what happens. Graham tries to open it in this fashion. It pings open with minimal effort. There we are. Now Linda takes the diary and flicks through to the sort of first couple of pages to see if there's a name written in it. It is indeed the diary of Demelza Cable. Oh, look, it's hers. 1908 would have made her, what, late 20s? Uh, yes, it would have done, I suppose, wouldn't it? If she hmm. was 96. Hmm. Oh, let's have a look and see if there's anything in it. So Linda starts flicking through the pages. The diary looks to have been kept largely for the sake of house upkeep. You've no insight into her life other than what's on these pages, how she even came to be in Solemn Vale. But the pages here indicate that she was already in Solemn Vale at the time that she started writing. And it talks about taking in stock, a certain amount of milk, uh, making sure to feed the chickens. It's a daily planner, 
but that wouldn't indicate a reason to lock the thing and perhaps the reason for that comes a little later as you reach March and then April her entries become a little more involved she writes about how she misses her family how she wishes they could all be together again and despite that she knows that they can't that this is my house now this is my place and it's my duty to keep the house in April she is writing about how she thinks a man in the village has fallen for her and she's not sure that she feels the same way that the best thing for her is to stay alone with the house so that if everything returns to normal she could return to a normal life but she is damn lonely come May she introduces further entries that talk about how she finds her mind going to deviant places to places that she was never taught about at school or at church just to while away the time rattling around in this house that a woman of her age shouldn't be here by herself a spinster and so she finds herself doing things that satisfy her but ultimately make her feel sick with herself she doesn't know whether this is the kind of thing that her sister used to do when she asked for alone time in their bedroom but she's beginning to find herself doing it more and more by July and August the mood picks up she has decided to spend more and more time with A.H. from the village and he is giving her a new lease on life Uh, he is reminding her that she is a woman that she is intelligent that she can do whatever she puts her mind to and he has started inviting her to parties where she would be appreciated by September that is probably the peak of her positivity in this place she says that she has found a community that she feels is her own now she doesn't know why she felt so compelled to remain in this house by herself she can't even remember anymore but she's worried she is worried in case her sister tries to reach out to her again because this is her life now she can't go back to the way things were and she's worried about the temptation should her sister arrive and then just as her doubts are cemented she is writing the following day about how extravagant and gorgeous a party it was that her and AH attended that she was able to sample things that she never had before Uh, she refers to dance she refers to alcohol she refers to sex now by October she reveals how her sister Edith arrived without announcement 
to give her some bad news. It doesn't detail what the bad news is. But Demelza has written that this ruins everything. That she can't go back to the way things were. There's no way she can, and there's only one sister that can get out of this. You have listened to an episode of Family Matters, a folk horror role-playing adventure set inside the world of the game Solemn Vale. The game, which is not yet released, is being developed by Dirty Vortex, and you can find out more on their website at dirtyvortex.net. Our storyteller was Matthew Dawkins, and this series is produced in collaboration with Red Moon Role-Playing. To enjoy some of their other stories set in games which are rich in folklore themes, such as Vampire the Masquerade or Mummy the Curse, find them online at www.redmoonroleplaying.com. Music was performed by ProtoU and used with permission from their label, Cryochamber. Cryochamber are specialists in dark, ambient music. You'll find a wealth to enjoy on their website at cryochamber.bandcamp.com. If you're interested in what these recordings sounded like before they were edited, then join our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast, where if you support us at a level of $5 a month or more, you'll have access to the raw, unedited recordings of our Solemn Vale adventure. Thanks for listening. See you next time.